We're going to come now to um, a time where we're, we're going to just come before God in prayer. So if you want to pick up on your conversations afterwards, we'll have community lunch afterwards. So please invite someone to come for lunch with you and carry on those conversations right afterwards. But um, what we do now is in our service, we do what we call the pastoral prayer, which is um, it's not just me praying. What I want you to do is I want to lead you in praying together. So that means um, I want to pray, and I want you to just be in your heart, or even under your breath, just be amening, just praying with me as I pray, okay? So let's just bow our heads and ask our Father um, to just hear uh, our petitions before Him. Father, amazing, loving Father, may we see you in the splendor of your holiness. God, your glory is above the heavens. You created galaxies. You, you stand far beyond the universe. Heaven is your throne. The earth is just a footstool for you. And yet you're the God who says, I come close and I'm with you. Well, thank you for the depth of your love for us. Thank you the only way we can come is because you sent Jesus to be our great high priest, to be our intercessor, to be the one who pleads for us, broken, sinful people, to draw us to yourself so we can come into your presence. We thank you, Father, that you are a good, good Father. Thank you so much for the gift of life. Thank you for uh, Eric and Justine and Judah, their little baby, Father, this morning. Well, thank you for the gift of life. It's just so exciting to see how you're working both in, in their lives um, and also how you're working, Father, through them in the life of the, the church in the bridge. Lord, we pray for Justine. We pray give her a swift recovery. We pray that you would strengthen them in these coming weeks and months to know how to parent you with wis- uh, parent the little uh, Judah with wisdom and with a deep sense of courage and strength and trust knowing that you're in control. We pray for the Bridge Church. We pray that they will be a church that really supports them. We pray that in that church, they not just have physical babies being born, but spiritual babies being born, Father. We pray that you would awaken life in that church in Tongchong, Lord. And we pray, Father, that as we think about even this city and we think about the need for new life in this city, which feels so broken at times, Lord, we ask that you would awaken your church. You would awaken your church to see the needs of those around us. Father, we pray as a church in Hong Kong, let us not be a church which is defined by busyness and activism, but which works hard for your kingdom out of a deep sense of rest in you. Lord, we live in a culture which pressurizes us to try and prove ourselves all the time, to just try and fight for survival. But we pray that as your church, we'd be different, that we would know that our survival is in your hands, not in our hard work. We pray, Lord, that as local churches, as international churches in this city, particularly at this time, where there's so much tension, would your grace be what fuels everything we do? Would your people be a light in a dark world? Would you teach us what it means to walk with you and to be the hope, Father, the people who point to you in any and every situation we face, even in this week? Father, forgive us where we dumb down your word to suit our own lifestyles, where we're not ruthless with our sin, 
where we only see sin as things we don't do rather than a call of holiness to live lives of love and of compassion, of courage and of grace to those around us. Father, we need you. Change our hearts, we pray. I pray, Lord, even um, in this city, I pray for those, and in our church as well, those who are single. Um, Father, our society places so many pressures and expectations on those who are single. Father, would you just lift up the eyes of all those in our congregation and beyond to see a vision for how you want to use their singleness for your kingdom, not just for their own comfort, Lord. Show them their value is not in what other people think about them, not in their relational status, but it's found in your deep abiding love. Father, we pray that we would be a community which walks alongside those who struggle in their sexuality those who struggle in loneliness, those who struggle with the pain of relational breakdown. Don't let us be so busy that we fail to love, fail to see those around us. Change us, Lord, we pray. Thank you that you're a good, good Father who longs to change us and make us more like your Son. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want to invite Echo to come and read God's word to us this morning. The scripture reading comes from Haggai, chapter 2. Please follow along in your bulletins or on the screen. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold, bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people And with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the vine vet to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil, with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine The fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. This is the word of God. Thank you, uh, Echo. That's great. Um, 
It's great to see uh, many of you. I know there's some uh, familiar faces, unfamiliar faces this morning. So if this is your first time, if you've been with VBS or your kids have been with VBS or you're just passing through, we just want you to feel um, just really welcome this morning. Um, we're going through a series in Haggai, which is a book in the Bible where no one knows where to find it, but it is in there. Um, so trust me. Uh, and we've been going through uh, this series looking at the prophet Haggai, who preaches four sermons over a period of four months to the Jewish people who God had brought back from the land of Babylon in exile. He brought them back to their homeland in Israel to rebuild the temple. And the temple was the centerpiece of worship to God as a community. It's where God's presence dwelt. And what we've seen over the last couple of sermons, here, sermons that we've had is that people had got very keen to start with, and then they'd just grown busy with their lives, and God's temple had been neglected. And Haggai came the 29th of August, 520 BC, to them with a sermon telling them to start getting on and getting back working on the temple. And we'd seen that they'd responded well. And so the people had, had started working and working, and then last week we saw they got to October, and in October they were getting discouraged, because the temple wasn't looking as great as they thought it was, it should be. It didn't look as great as the previous temple they'd had, and they were wondering whether this was really worth continuing or not. And Gary preached to us last week and showed us that actually God encouraged them through Haggai, don't give up, keep working because God is with you and he's doing something far more glorious than you realize right at this present moment. So don't give up, keep working. And so now, it's the 18th of December. So Haggai as a career, he only has like a four-month career. So it's not a very long prophesying preaching career. Um, and you'll see maybe why. Um, but Haggai comes again, his, four, his third sermon. And his time he comes to the priests, the religious leaders, who are basically like community adjudicators as well on matters of the law. And so he came to them with a question about holiness. Now, I don't know about you, but... Let me give you a little bit of background on holiness, because when I say the word holy, I mean, what comes into your mind? Anyone? God, do you say? Okay. <laughs> Nothing comes into your mind, clearly. Okay. So, um, but holy is one of these religious words. Like, how often do you go around using the word holy, like, to your boss? Oh, that was a very holy moment. I don't think you do. Uh, but this word means set apart. But the problem with the word set apart is it sounds very cold, very distant, like kind of God's a bit too cool to hang around with dirty sinners like us. And we have this kind of impression that holy is actually a kind of negative word, really. It kind of feels a bit like the right thing, but just a bit like bright light that you don't want to look at, really, because it's too shiny. But actually, when the Bible talks about God as holy, 
He's saying that God is the creator of everything and we are created. God is infinite and we are finite. We have to sleep at night. God is always awake. It's like he is self-sufficient. We are dependent. He is the sun and we are the earth which depends on its rays for our very existence. This is his holiness. He is the source of everything. And yet, um, I I watched an advert a while back. I think it was for toilet paper. But in this advert, um, I'm not going to name the brand, but in this advert, there was a a woman and a guy sitting at a restaurant opposite each other on a beach. It was a very romantic scene. And there was a, um, and and the woman was thirsty. And there was a coconut, uh, like palm tree next door. And, And so the guy reaches up, gets a coconut, cracks it against his head with just sheer power, as if nothing had happened, opens it up, gets a straw, places it in the coconut, and then gently hands it to his beloved across the table. And the caption line went something like like this, um, strong and gentle, everything you could ever want. And I thought about that, and I thought, um, I mean, they're talking about toilet paper, but actually... Isn't that what we really desire in our lives? Because if you think of people who are very strong and bold and courageous, aren't they often not very gentle or not very compassionate or not very kind? And you think of people who are very compassionate and very kind and very gentle, aren't they often not really very bold and courageous and strong? Right? And so who here has unshakable courage and strength and perfect patience and love and compassion. Anybody? I don't see many hands. Okay. Um, Do you want to be like that? Okay. Okay, five people do. We'll work on it. Okay, But, but actually, do you know why we want to be like that? That is a longing for God's holiness. Because you see, like the sun rays point back to the sun, our longings for these things are a longing for a God who is perfect in love, perfect in power, perfect in strength, perfect in compassion, perfect in gentleness, perfect in awesome majesty, everything you could ever want. He is and he's the source of all of those things. That is the beauty and holiness of God. That is how he is set apart. And you know, in the Old Testament, anything that is related to God, associated with him, is holy. So what you have, you see Moses. Uh, Moses um, comes along and he's walking along and he sees this burning bush and he starts walking up to it and he hears a voice saying, Moses, take off your sandals because the place that you are standing is holy ground. Why is it holy? Because God's presence is there. The temple that we've been talking about, it's the holy temple of God. Why is it holy? Because God's presence is there. There are priests who are called to to be holy because they're set apart to serve and worship him. You know, in the Bible, there are holy days, there are holy cups, there are holy meetings, there is holy bread, there is holy steak because there is meat that is offered in worship to God. And that becomes holy because it's for him and devoted to him. All of these things become holy. Holy. 
And God's people were also called to be holy, a holy nation, a people who belong to God. We are His. So when I got married to my wife, I became holy to her, set apart for her and she for me. That is the image of being holy. But in the book of Leviticus, in the law, there was a problem. Because ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, sin entered the world. Sin, where we sought to find our life anywhere outside of God himself. And sin brought death. It's like an oil slick that brings pollution into all of creation. It made us unclean. It made us dirty. And Leviticus has lots of laws which say anyone who releases bodily fluids, like menstruation, things related to the life and death cycle, anyone who touches a dead body, any of these things become unclean and need cleansing. And you know, touching a dead body wasn't sinful, because actually you've got to bury dead people. But actually it's like when you touched it, you now had the smell of death on you. You had the stain of the pollution of a broken world on you. And you needed to be washed and cleansed before you could come into the presence of God. That is the background to this passage in Haggai. So, are you with me still? Good. So if you've got your bulletin open, uh, we'll be going through just some of that passage together. So first of all, Haggai comes, and in verse 11, he says this. He kind of asks a question. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or any other kind of food, common food, does it become holy? And the priests go, no. What is he asking? He's saying, is holiness contagious? like a virus. So if I am clean and I touch you, I've had a bath and I touch you, do you become clean? And they go, no, of course not. And so he says, okay, um, if you stand next, it's like if if you have a holy garment that's touched holy meat, and then does it kind of pass off holiness to something else? He goes, no. And he says, um, The same idea, you know, if you were to stand next to a holy person, would the holiness kind of rub off on you? His answer would be same no. Because, you know, in church history, a lot of people have actually thought, they've kind of forgotten this, so they think that if you go into a holy building, like a church building, you suddenly become holy. Or they think if you go and uh, get prayed for by the holy pastor... Suddenly, you become like the spiritual holy zapping from God comes upon you. And, and, and what Haggai and the priests are going, no, 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 that's not the way holiness works. And then he switches the question. He goes, okay, not the clean thing. If I'm dirty and I touch you, do you become dirty? Yes, good answer. That's the priest's answer. They say, if someone who's unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these things, does it become unclean? And they go, yeah, it does. Is uncleanness contagious? Yes. So it's a bit like this. I want you to imagine, like, who here is, who's thirsty? I know some of you are thirsty. 
Anyone thirsty? Anyone? Okay. Uh, Dan is thirsty. Okay. So what I'm going to do, um, Dan, I've got a drink of water for you. Here we go. Here you go. Drink up. Oh, hold on a sec. So don't drink it just yet. I just want you to know that just before I did a urine sample and a uh, poo sample in that cup, um, I washed it out afterwards, so it's probably about... Um, Oh, it's, it's 99% clean. Uh, feel free to carry on drinking if you'd like. Would you drink it? <laughs> Lorna would drink it. <laughs> would you drink it? I think most of us would go, uh, no, I think I'll get from somewhere else. Because it feels defiled, right? It feels unclean. Even if you told me it was 99% clean, 1% is enough to make you go, I don't want to touch that, right? This is what Haggai is saying. And Haggai brings home the point to the Israelites. He then goes... That's exactly what you are like. He goes, you're not even 99% clean. You're way more dirty than that. And everything that you are offering in building this temple, this holy place, is actually unclean. And you go, wow, Haggai, that's a bit hard. They seem to be doing all the right things. But you're supposed to be this, this people who are for God's eyes only, to honor him with all of your life, that everything set apart for him, so his glory shapes who you are and what you do. And he says, outwardly, you guys have been starting building this temple. You've been doing a lot of great religious activities. You've been going to church, you've been praying, you've been listening to what Oscar said, and you've been giving money, you've been working in the kids' ministry, you've been busy. Actively, on the outside, you appear to be doing everything God says of you. But what Haggai says is, the outside of the cup may look clean, but inside, your hearts are impure, you're selfish, you're defiled. And you're like, Haggai's not the kind of guy you'd like invite around to your house for a meal. You know, it's not, he's pretty strong. And what he's saying is, when you touch my holy temple and you are impure, what happens? You're defiling my temple. Your dirty hands are getting muddy, even the good things that you think you're doing. And God's saying, do you think that I would touch anything that you're offering? When I know where your hands have been, when I know where your heart has been, when I know where your thoughts have been this week, it's a hard message that Haggai is actually bringing to this people. Because, you know, for myself, I realize this is really striking for me because um, I can come to church, and I remember I've, I've come before to church, and my wife and I were just having a big argument in the car, on the, uh, in the taxi on the way here. And so we kind of come out, and then you come into, into church, and you're all kind of happy. And I was preaching that day. <clears throat> I said, it's fine, hi, everything, praise the Lord, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm getting up to preach, and it could have been the most amazing sermon ever. But if my heart is filled with bitterness and anger with my wife, do you know what God would say? 
I don't want to touch that because I want your heart. I don't just want your outward actions. And I think this is just such a challenging thing for all of us. Don't we often walk into church, into our community group, and we're nursing grudges against our bosses. We're nursing all kinds of offenses that we've... We're angry. We've got all kinds of things. And then we start singing. And then we start praising God. And then we do all these things thinking that that is what holiness is. But God says, no, I look deeper than that. I look down here. Which is one of the reasons why when we take communion, we say, don't just kind of come up and take communion as if it's just a nice religious ritual that you do. Because actually, that's a moment for you to stop and say, God, where is my heart right now? Because, you know, Jesus says, like, if you've come to the altar and you've got an issue with your brother or your sister, don't, don't come and, like, just quit everything you're doing right there and just get right. You see, holiness is not about just externals. Holiness is about the heart. And in Psalm 24, it says this, Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? That's the temple. Who can come? He who has a clean hands and a pure heart. Who's got clean hands and a pure heart this morning? Who's got kind of 75% clean? Because don't we sometimes say, well, I know I'm not perfect, but you know, I've got a 75%. And God still says the same. That's, I don't, I don't want to touch that if it's just you coming with your own sense of holiness. And the right response to that isn't to go, oh, well, then... Um, If that's the case, then I won't even bother doing any of the praising God. I won't bother doing any of the other things. That's not the right response. The response God is looking for is he wants to draw you to himself and say, I want to call you to repent and to turn back to me. So that's the second thing I want to talk about, the call of repentance. Second thing Haggai says. From verse 15 to verse 18, Haggai uses three consider. He says, consider from this day onwards. Consider from this day onward. Consider. And that word consider, it's the same that he said back in chapter 1, verse 7, when he told the people, listen, consider where you're going. Consider your ways. And the idea is, so that you can turn back to me. You see, in this passage... Behind the scenes is actually a reference to um, Deuteronomy 28. It's where Moses is about to take the people, uh, wants to call the people to go into the promised land. He won't go. But he says to them, listen, guys, you have a choice before you. You've got a decision. Either obey God, run to him, love him, and he will bless you, or run away from him and you'll receive curse. Because if you try and go away from the sun and get it by yourself, you'll have no life. So he says this, I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. Now choose life. By loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life. Do you see what he's saying? I want you to come to me. 
because I'm life for you. And what he's saying, Haggai here, is he's saying to the people, you guys have turned away from me, and what did you get? You have got curse. You didn't get the harvest you were looking for. You got death on your work, death on your crops. Because when you walk away from God that way, it always affects that way, horizontally. And the call is, come back to me, not tomorrow, but today. Today. But he doesn't just say, kind of, look back at the past. He also says, look forward to the future. This is verse 18 and 19. He says, from the day you started building the temple until now, you've sown your seed for the next year for the harvest. It's in the ground, and you're hoping that you're going to get a good harvest. And God says, listen, though your past has been bad and the harvest have been bad because of your sin, right now, it's not too late because now I want you to come to me because I want to bless you. I want to bless you. He says, just watch from this day on. If you run back to me, just see how I'll bless you. Just see, that's my heart. Because when we talk about the holiness of God, don't we often think God's holiness is about telling us to say, like, no to everything? Like, don't sleep with your boyfriend. Don't be nasty to people. Don't do this. Don't do that. And it feels like a whole list of rules. That's God's holiness, we think. And that never attracts your heart to ever want to run back to God. Because the moment I say no, inside you're going, yes, right? You know, when I was a kid, during the holidays, um, me and my friend, we wanted to play tennis. And our school had tennis courts, but we weren't supposed to use them during the holidays. But no one used them. So we would um, go, and there was actually a hole at the side under the fence, so we would kind of creep under the fence, and we'd start playing tennis together. And I remember one day, the caretaker of the school came out, and he started kind of shouting at us and telling us to get out of there, and we just ignored him, we just kind of kept playing. Um, And then what he did, he started brought out a camera and started trying to take pictures of us. And so we started taking off our shirts, putting our shirts over like this so they couldn't see us. It was a bit difficult to play tennis at that point, but hey, we carried on. And, uh, but then, you know, he wouldn't go away, and so uh, we just kind of started reasoning with him. We said, hey, listen, if you just let us play here, like, like we're not doing any harm, like, uh, it's fine, there's no one else here, we'll go and help you later when we're at school, we'll help you clean up different things if you just let us play. And we started trying to reason and justify why we should be there. And he wouldn't have any of it, and so we had to go and we had to leave, but we just felt he was totally unreasonable. He was just like a miserable caretaker. Do you know anyone have those in your school? Those kind of teachers you just think, they need to get a life. I think that's often how we actually deep down view God's holiness. We know we're doing wrong things, but we kind of feel God's a little bit unreasonable because he wants, he's just spoiling our fun, spoiling it, and it just doesn't seem reasonable. And so what we try and do, we try and negotiate our way with God. We kind of justify ourselves. We try and cover ourselves up, hide ourselves, even hiding our own little sins through trying to do a lot of good things. You ever done that? You know that you should be actually dealing with an area in your life with somebody else. But what you end up doing is you start serving really hard in kids' ministry. Or in somewhere, I don't want to stop Kristen having volunteers for kids' ministry. But, you know, we do this. 
isn't actually a lot of the busyness that actually we do a way that we try and cover up ourselves because we know deep down there's something that's not right with us. We don't feel valuable. We don't feel approved. But God looks at the heart and the whole of the rest of the history of the Old Testament is after Haggai has spoken this message, the people continually refuse to turn back to God. They choose curse and curse and curse after curse all the time. And it shows us something. It shows us, the Bible story is written very clearly to show you that you cannot get holy by serving. You cannot get holy by just coming on a Sunday. You cannot get holy by just praying a lot or going helping the granny across the road. You cannot get holy by any of those things. Because, you know, the only way to get holy is to have a touch from the Holy One himself. And that's my third point. We've, we've looked at how holiness is not religious activity. There's a call to repentance. But really what we need in that is this touch from the Holy One. This passage, 400 years later, the people have failed again and again. And then Jesus comes to a man who has a demon. In the Bible, it's called an unclean spirit. Notice, unclean. And the spirit sees Jesus approaching, and he says, Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. The only one who embodies everything who God is. His love, his strength, his power, and his compassion. And he knows that as an unclean spirit, Jesus can say one word and in his presence he would be destroyed. But as the story goes on, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus then is walking along and this man comes to him who's a, a Jewish leader and says, my daughter is dying, could you come? Please lay hands on her and she will live. And Jesus goes with her, and he's surrounded by this crowd. And in that crowd, there is a woman, a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. In the Levitical law, someone who has been bleeding like that for 12 years is unclean. And she has been looking everywhere for every doctor that money can buy. And none of them have been able to help her. She's, uh, just imagine, the whole of her life in that culture trying to hide the shame and the guilt of just, of just this, this uncleanness that just clings to you. And she, she, she comes and she hears that Jesus is in town. And do you know what she says? She comes fearful, ashamed, and desperate. And she knows that Jesus is her only hope. And she says this, if I can only touch his garments... Just the fold of his garment. Then I will be healed. And the word healed is actually the word saved. And she, she reaches out to him. She, she's like, I just need him. He's the only one who can help me. And she touches him. What does Haggai say should happen if an unclean person touches something that's holy? It becomes unclean, Right? What happens with Jesus? Power 
life-giving power flows out of Jesus, heals her, cleanses her, restores her completely. And Jesus goes, who touched me? And this woman who's been so shamed, she's fearful, she's trembling, but she comes out before Jesus and she tells her story. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. You came to me. Now go in peace. Restore that word peace, the shalom, the wholeness, the peace that I give you. And do you know what Jesus then does next? That guy whose daughter was dying, some of his servants come to him and say, hey, um, don't bother Jesus any longer. She's dead. Your daughter's dead. And Jesus turns and says, listen, don't listen to them. Just trust me. And he walks down to the house where this daughter is. And there's the mourners there. And he says to them, hey, don't worry. She's just asleep. And they laugh at him. And Jesus walks into the room. And he could have just stood at the side of the room and kind of said, be healed. Because what happens if a holy, clean person touches something that is unclean, like a dead body? What happens? They become unclean. But God, Jesus is not the kind of holy, distant God that kind of clicks his fingers and then walks away. No, what he does, he walks towards her. He touches her. He reaches out to her cold, lifeless hand. And he says, get up. And power comes in and he raises her from the dead. But in that moment of power, do you see what he also does? He then says to her, listen, she's hungry. Get her something to eat. Incredible compassion. Because Jesus is the Holy One who combines everything that you and I wish we were if we really could do it in our own strength and we cannot. And here's the point. You and I are like that woman. You and I are like that corpse. Unclean before a holy God. We should be destroyed from his presence. But instead, God wants to come to you and to me. And he says, I want to bless you. And the only way I can bless you is through my life-giving presence with you. You know, in the, in the temple, access into God's holy presence was only brought through the death of an animal, taking the impurity, the uncleanness of people's sins, being placed on them, and it died so that, so that the high priest could walk into God's presence. And we know that on the cross, where Jesus died, our sins were transferred. Our impurity, our shame, all of those things were transferred onto Christ, the Holy One, the only one who didn't deserve it, so that your heart and my heart can be cleansed. You know, He's the only one who can transfer holiness to you to shame-filled, broken people like you and me. He's the only one. And do you know how the early Christians used to preach the gospel? In Acts chapter 2, 
they said this. Peter says this. He says, his sermon, 500 years later, he says to a group of Jews who were at the temple, he says, you denied the holy and righteous one, Jesus, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life who God raised from the dead. Again, he's saying, if you think you can get clean by serving, by being busy, even busy for Jesus, forget it, because our sin is too great. The only way you can get clean to stand before a holy, beautiful, dazzling God is when you come in repentance to see that Jesus has done everything for you, that he is the source of life-giving power for you right now, wherever you are right at this moment. And by opening your hands and saying, God, I recognize I need you, I have nowhere else to run. Life-giving power of the cleansing work of Jesus, his blood can wash over you and cleanse you completely. That's why it says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you want to be refreshed by God? Do you want the presence of God in your life? Do you see what he says? He says we need to come like that shame-filled woman, desperate to Jesus, seeking his forgiveness in repentance before him. And that is where his blessing of his presence is found. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning. Maybe you think you're a Christian, but actually you're just a religious Christian. Maybe you're living with shame, with guilt, with a whole lot of things in your life that actually, as you hear us talking about holiness, you know you cannot stand before God, and you've been running. But today, the message of Haggai is that today there is a decision that God wants to bring to you. Today is a decision, don't run away any longer, run to him. Because there is nothing you have done, there is no sin so great that his life-giving power through the cross cannot cleanse. There is no thought you have thought, there is no word you have done, there is no action too bad. But he doesn't want your religious actions. He wants your heart. He wants you 100%. Because he wants to clean you, not just 99%, but 100%. But many of us have been in church for a while. You know this message. You've heard it a thousand times before. You could probably preach it back to me. But if you stop and think about your life, you wonder, am I really as desperate as that shame-filled woman? Do I really see my absolute need for Jesus? You're busy doing a lot of things for Jesus, but do you know how much you need him? I was listening to a podcast um, by a guy who was a pastor and a seminary professor, and and he was saying that um, one day 
he and his wife had been um, about to go to bed. He'd been married for 20, 25 years. And they get to the bottom of the staircase, and his wife turns to him and says, do you love me? And he's completely shocked because it's like, of course I love you. And he comes out with all the reasons why he loves it. You know, every morning I get the kids up, I make them breakfast. At night I do this for them and this for you and this for you. And then they just keep walking up the stairs. They get halfway up the stairs. She turns around to him again and says, do you love me? And at this point, he's kind of thinking, what on earth? Okay, have I done something wrong? Is there like, um, what's going on? He's pretty freaked out by this. And, you know, he comes up with another list of things that he's done to kind of justify himself. Gets up to the top of the stairs, about to get into the bedroom. His wife turns to him a third time and says, do you love me? At that point, he stopped. And he said that was actually the pivotal moment of his life and his marriage. Because at that moment, he suddenly stopped and thought, do I know what love is? He's been married for 25 years. He's a pastor who's preached on God's love all the time. But at that moment, God arrested him. And he went on this journey over this next few, few weeks and months, and he got into the Bible and got into looking at the person of Jesus to go, how does Jesus love anybody? Because I'm not sure I even know how to love. And as he did that, he saw the holiness and the beauty of Jesus. And what that did, it began to change him to be more attentive and present with his wife than he'd ever been before in his life. Their marriage became enriched, and he started learning the beauty of holiness. I think that's a question God wants to ask us as a community. I think we do a lot of serving. We've got a lot of amazing stuff going on. But do we love Jesus? Do you love him? Do you love him? The answer to that question isn't an answer to condemn you. The answer to that question is a call to go, I need to stop all my justifications. In fact, I need to stop, maybe I need to start, not just repenting of the bad things I do, but even repenting of the good things that I do. Because the good things often make me feel justified so that I don't start chasing after Jesus desperately knowing only he can help make me holy. Only he can make me the loving, courageous person that I want to be. Only he. And he has arms which are wide open and he wants to come to us. He is not distant. So will we come to him this morning in real repentance? And if you know... I don't really know what that means. Then I want to give you just a second right now to just bow your heads and just do business with God.